Welcome back to the Pet Cash Pod, sponsored by Profluence Sports, profluence.com. This is your host, Andrew Pet Cash, and this will be the 44th episode in my series where I interview founders, investors, athletes, and the smartest people in sports. Today's guest is Evan Kirkham, CEO and co-founder of Outlier. They are a sports betting super app, which you'll hear all about in today's podcast, including even transitioning from a prior idea called ColorCast, raising $3.5 million, and the sports betting market as a whole. Evan Kirkham, he even calls it himself. He's a recovering attorney, but brings a ton of legal experience into what he's doing now in the sports betting landscape with the Outlier app. Tons to learn from this one. Lots of great insights. I really enjoyed it. I think you will as well. Let's dive in. Evan, what's up, brother? Appreciate you coming on the podcast today. Excited to dive into this one as we are about to hit five years in PASPA. So this is uh, this will be released right around that day. It's pretty cool. Pretty cool. Pretty cool. Thanks for having me on, Andrew. Awesome. So I want to start somewhere. You have written on some of your social bios that you're a recovering attorney. And uh, I just wanted to, you know, dive into that a little bit of like what the decision was for you to go down that whole route and then just leave and jump into sports full time. Yeah, yeah. It's a complicated question because on, or well, maybe it's not the most complicated question, but it's something that I'm not even sure I know the answer to. <laughs> I've just come off of a big federal jury trial, two weeks away from my family, just like living and breathing the law all day and stressing out about it and working 150 hour weeks or something ungodly like that. And I sort of had this moment and it had been leading up to this, uh, but I sort of had this moment where I just thought to myself, like, I don't know if I want to be fighting other people's fights. I kind of want to fight my own fight. And um, as almost vague as that is, I, that was sort of the, the the driver for me was I want my own, my own fight. Uh, I want my own battles. I want my own team. I want my own product. I want to live or die by my own efforts. I'm kind of wasn't too fond of, you know, arguing on behalf of one wealthy person to to enforce a contract against another wealthy person. It's like, I don't, I don't have a dollar here. Um, so that that's sort of that was sort of the. I don't know, impetus for it. Um, fortunately, I had a really cool product and, and reason to jump. So, yeah. Yeah, and we'll get into that. But has has this background, like the legal background, has it helped you kind of like right from the start as in, in just in other advantage, especially sports betting? I'm sure there's a ton of, you know, legislation stuff to, to deal with. Very true. Yeah. Uh, yes. One thing that being, I was a securities litigator. One thing that being a litigator teaches you about is leverage. So I have a pretty good idea, you know, when we go into a partnership or when we're talking with the creator or we are trying to hire someone on, um, leverage is always something that's um, like having a keen understanding of that is, is helpful in business. Beyond that, yeah, I mean, I, um, I did some regulatory work as an attorney. So uh, just kind of understanding that landscape and or understanding how to like decode regulatory regimes uh, was, was really helpful and is helpful. And then, of course, when you're in the really early startup stage, which Fortunately, I think we've graduated past, but when I was in the really early st startup phase, um, I did almost all the legal work myself too, which actually helped defer a ton of cost. So, um, so yeah, that, that all has come to play. And then, and then finally, like, and I don't know whether this is warranted or not, but having the credential, just a JD as the credential actually gives me some authority that, again, I don't know that I necessarily deserve it, but it's been, uh, it's been helpful just landing intros and, and that type of thing. Yeah, the law background, I could definitely see that helping, obviously, to cut costs. But obviously, just like you said, I don't know, there's just a perception around it. Like you understand things like deeply yeah. and how to like contract. And it's, it's funny, I'm actually curious your opinion on this it's kind of a side note. But I was reading right. through some of the legal docs for some stuff I have going on. And 
I was just like, what is this saying? So I put it in the chat GPT and I was like, yo, summarize this and let me know. And what came out on the other side, I was like, why do they not just write it like this? And uh, because it made sense. I'm just kind of curious your thoughts on not really the writing. I get it's like law, like lawyer language, attorney language, whatever you call it. But just like chat GPT as a whole um, and just even that use cases towards the law landscape or the legal landscape. Okay, I'll answer that, but first about the legalese. The legalese exists for two reasons. One is I actually think it's sort of like lawyers creating a barrier of entry to their club. So that's one. And, and two is like creating some ambiguity so they can argue it later. And then three is it's because lawyers are scared to change kind of precedent. So if someone wrote that at some point, then unless there's a reason to not write it that way, I'm just going to write it that way because clearly that's been accepted. So anyway, that's why legalese are the way they are, I think. Um, yeah. In terms of, yeah. So in terms of ChatGPT, uh, yeah, man, I think that they could be a giant disruptor for um, for the legal industry. The real question here is not if it's going to happen, it's when it's going to happen. And then kind of beyond that is how it's going to happen. And what I mean by that is I think that, you know, ChatGPT, GPT-4 could probably handle a lot of associate um, level attorney work now. But the question is, what database were they able to pull from? Because the entire body of law exists pretty much in two places, LexisNexis and Westlaw. So both of those companies have, databases have gigantic and, and kind of massive leverage where they can say, hey, OpenAI, you can't ingest my database unless you pay me some ungodly fees. The question is really who those two databases allow to, to script their data. Yeah, and it's kind of funny too, because it's like, the lawyers and everything that's going to be they're going to be the least ones that want to be disrupted so they could do everything in their legal power to make sure that there's legal standards set in place but anyway i I know we could go down a whole nother rabbit hole but i'm curious now so you're you know you're in the whole legal landscape you decide you said a little bit earlier you have this idea it was initially color cast so i guess we'll kind of start there and lead us to what you're building now at outlier yeah cool so color cast origin story i don't get to tell this very often anymore so here it goes my best my best try so I'm watching Thursday Night Football. To I'm a huge Dallas Cowboys fan. We probably need another episode for that. Two notoriously awful commentators are on the call, Jason Witten and Booger McFarlane. I'm particularly pissed at Jason Witten because the dude is a cowboy. And in my mind, he should be cheering for the Cowboys. But because he is on whatever, ESPN, I guess, Thursday Night Football, he had to be purposely unbiased. And I got so ticked that I turned off the TV. And in that moment, I thought to myself, I'm like, look, I don't know everything about the Cowboys. I'm clearly not a professional football player, but I can be biased. I can get excited about the Cowboys and maybe someone would want to tune into that. So that was sort of the kind of ideation. Uh, again, I was already having these thoughts about how I want to do something on my own. So anyway, if you go back into my link, my LinkedIn history and like scroll way back, like I'm talking probably three years at this point, you'll see that there for a while, I was posting a new startup idea essentially once a week. And uh, ColorCast was no different. I shared it publicly on LinkedIn. Our first investor messaged me and he said, hey, take that post down. Let's go get lunch. So we, we got lunch. That turned in our first $60,000 check. And then, you know, product, adoption, iteration, more team, more checks, more iteration, more team, more checks. And it's kind of went from there. Dude, I love that. That's a sick story. I didn't know that. That's really cool. I didn't know it was kind of like you posted it out there and you're just kind of thinking through stuff in real time. That's that's super cool. Now, now tell us a little bit. Obviously, you go through ColorCast, you bring on the investors, you're building that out. And now you guys have this transition into what Outlier is today. If you can, I guess, first tell us what Outlier is and then go into the transition while you guys did it. You know, what was the thought process behind it, the opportunity you saw? Yeah, yeah. So um, Outlier is in 
the way I like to say it is it's kind of the first of its kind sports betting super act. And I know it's a little buzzy, but here's why we call it that. The way we see the sports bettors journey is in three parts. You have to browse slash ID the pick you want to you research for tonight. Then you have to analyze it. So browsing, analyzing, and then finally execute it. And today, those three steps of the user journey have been kind of federated. So, you know, execution can only happen on the books. Analyzing happens on, I don't know, like a staff news or an ESPN or, you know, Roto Grinders or something. And the browsing and the ideation piece happens mainly on gambling, Twitter, maybe you've got a picture or just a buddy that's in a group text or whatever. And what we decided is that we could actually take that, we could do the entire betting journey end to end. So on Outlier, we help you browse and ideate picks. So you're going to see things like, we're not going to tell you the pick, we're actually just showing you the data. We're not picksters, to be clear. We'll show you the data, like in the last 10 games, on the road, after a loss, when guarded by Kawhi Leonard in the playoffs, LeBron James is 9 for 10 going over 30 points. And it's available at DraftKings for minus 115 or whatever. So that's browsing ideating. When you click in on it, you'll see these really cool hit rate charts that show, okay, nine out of the last 10. And then supporting stats like, all right, well, that one game he didn't go over. Oh, he only played 20 minutes. That's why. Like he got in foul trouble, whatever it may be. So we're showing you all sorts of sporting stats, line movement, public bet percentage, all of it really in one easy to, to read screen. Then when you feel comfortable, you actually add it to my picks. And then with the click of a button, you can check out on FanDuel, DraftKings, MGM, or Caesars, all straight from our app. So we've really positioned ourselves again, like not hyperbole here, as a sports betting super app. If you want to bet on any of the four major books, you can do it through Outlier. Researched, confident, right? Like it's um, it's a really cool end-to-end -end experience. Yeah, and talk to us a little bit about that transition, like the idea of where you were like, okay, I see this opportunity, color cost is what it is, but you know, I and we'll get into the investor piece a little bit of what they thought or, you know, how you manage that just for advice for other people that ever think about it. But, you know, where did where did that stem from where you're like, good idea, here's the better idea. We have to do this now. I don't, you know, I don't care. Like, this is what we're doing. Totally. Okay. So, yeah, the pivot. So, well, one, I'll start by saying it was, it's frightening. It's frightening. Um, it was especially frightening for us because by all kind of conventional measures, ColorCast is actually doing fairly well. So, we were doing about 10,500 monthly active users, over 500 broadcasts per week. So, I mean, we were moving and uh, getting investment interest, et cetera. We, we actually came into our seed raise with only the slightest idea of what Outwire or our, our link to sports betting could be. But what we started realizing as we were raising the round is that, and this has turned out to be one of the most kind of like prescient insights we had, is businesses in 2023, startups in 2023, have to be revenue generating. There's, we're kind of done with these days of like, I will grow to you 150,000 users or a million users and then monetize. Like that's kind of the old economic regime. And when we started seeing this regime change happening, we're like, okay, we have to find a way to monetize quickly. And believe it or not, and I'll go more kind of how the pivot came to be, but our decision at the end of the day was, it's actually an easier path for us to monetize if we shelve color cast spin out an entirely new only partially related sports betting app and start to build its user base from scratch we thought that that was an easier way to monetize than for us to try to grow to the requisite number of users that would allow us to monetize on on color cast so anyway that's where the pivot came and we've it's been a good decision thankfully because as you rightly pointed out it makes for sticky conversations with investors stakeholders etc in fact i won't name names but a few you know are like evan like what, what about code? Like, what about podcast? I mean, like, he, 
that's what we're investing in. And what what is this outlier thing? And now it's cool is now that we're generating pretty healthy revenues, they're like, I knew it, man. Like trusted in you the whole time. And I'm like, okay, thanks. Hey, it is what it is. You know, the, the metrics always yeah. speak for themselves, right? Now, I guess just for anyone else listening, uh, entrepreneur-wise, now's a time where I could see other companies, especially even in NIL, I'm starting to see a lot of them, of yeah. like these pivots. You know, how did you communicate that with not only investors, but also your team, customers, et yeah. cetera? Like, how did you go about that whole process? Because it's not an easy thing to do. Yeah, yeah. So they'll try to answer this question. Um, startups are about proofs. So whether you're thinking about pivoting, whether you're thinking about growing, whatever, the, the, the way to get alignment with your investors and with your team is to say, okay, here's the next milestone. Here's, the next proof. here's what we need to prove to ourselves and prove to the rest of the world. And actually, and so we did that with Colorcast. We do that with Outlier now, you know, setting metrics that we want to hit, et cetera. The same is actually true with Pivot, but that's a little more, that's a little different because what you're trying to prove back is like an idea and the viability of an idea. So we did all sorts of things like, you know, we did almost a thousand user interviews and surveys, right? So we collected a ton and ton and ton of data about sports betting habits, sports betting sites, or like all of it. We, uh, you know, we prototyped some really early like designs of the app. We prototyped really early functionality and got feedback. They were like, oh, this is cool. Like, I really like this. And importantly, I'm willing to pay for it. So it's really just a game of like, if you can rack up proofs, you'll convince yourself that it's the right thing to do. And you'll be able to communicate that proof externally, convince others. And so yeah, there was, there was all sorts of like workshopping. We even did this one thing, it's called the Amazon PR exercise, where we said, hey, Whatever this product is going to be, let's write a fake press release, circulate mm. it with the team and some of our investors, get their reaction to it. And if we're not like epically excited by the release, it's something we wouldn't want to release. So like fake that the product has already been built. And if you don't love what you see, don't build it. Yeah. Fake it till you make it, I guess, even uh, yeah. Yeah. when you're, when you're pivoting a startup. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But now you talked about a little bit in there, the obviously a shifting revenue model as well, because it's about yes. generating revenue now and uh, go into the, that kind of how you're building that at uh, Outlier, you know, what that yeah. is, where it's going, you know, how you have pivoted from more, I would say, I mean, it's still to end consumer B2C, but yeah. you've yeah. almost kind of made like in a little bit of a way, almost like a B2B move, even though it's not, it's like kind of how you've done it. It's like, there's, there aren't a ton of people, well, I, that's not true. They're probably a lot of people that live in this space, but it's sort of like B2C SaaS, right? Like we're trying to get an intermediate sports better to pay for software as service. So, um, but yeah, I mean, uh, we have consumer backgrounds. Again, I mean, I'm, I'm an attorney. The guys on our product team have some consumer background, but what we proved to ourselves with Colorcast is that we could build consumer tech and get people really excited about the functionality and the kind of fluidity of the app and all of that. So we were unafraid to move into another B2C project in terms of how we monetize and kind of what revenue looks like for us uh we charge people 20 bucks a month and so uh and what's cool about the sport and and so we've got a number of subscribers that are not paying us that what's cool about the sports betting space is that uh people are more willing to pay because the value trade is so clear it's like all right if i pay 20 dollars a month to use outlier and i win even one additional bet i just made my money back so it's like it's really the financial incentives are really clear. It, it rather instead of like, oh, you know, pay 99 cents for an alarm app. It's like, well, how is that going to actually like, how do we net out on that? Um, so, so fortunately, sports betting, because it's like an exchange of money based industry, it makes it easy to, to communicate value. Yeah. And where do you see the B2C space going? 
I know you've hinted at it a little bit throughout this, but like, where do you see that space yeah. going as a whole? Because, and obviously in sports, extreme whatever industry in sports is extremely yeah. difficult to build B to C. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I think it's all about di- differentiated experiences. So um, for us, like differentiated experiences, okay, every sports book in one, and for the first time, you don't feel like you're throwing a dart. You feel like there's actually justification for why you're betting what you're betting. Like on the sports book side, I mean, we saw like same game parlays with. Uh, FanDuel. That literally made the company. FanDuel is a market leader and it's not going to get knocked off that position as far as I'm concerned because of the same game parlay, right? Like, I can't wait to see what happens with like sweepstakes, right? Uh, with these giant, like, I don't know, lottos, essentially. I really think that um, the kind of product innovation is, I don't know, the, the, the magic dust to, to growing in a company. And you have to do something, something differentiated, but, but simultaneously like easy to understand. If it was easy, everyone would do it. Like, why doesn't DraftKings have something that's comparable? I mean, they do have something comparable to the SGP, but like, what's their innovation? Like, they're just catching up. And for us, it's like, we spend a ton of time. Our team is way overweighted product versus marketing because the best product is going to win at the end of the day. So we want to spend all of our time thinking about what's next for us and the product and like how we stay ahead. Um, yeah. Now, jumping over to the marketing side a little bit, though, because you're even bringing up, up the sports books. And they themselves create a ton of content to drive these customers in. How are you guys on that marketing side, driving the customers in, acquiring them, um, yeah. and, and then, you know, getting them into your funnel to pay that 20 bucks a month and, you know, do everything yeah. in one spot? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, we have, a, we have a number of uh, kind of successful channels now. Discord is a great channel for us. We've created a Discord bot that drops our insight, takes our insights, you know, three hours before tip off every night. A lot of people are using that, and uh, it's just really great brand awareness and exposure. So Discord's been really good for us. We actually have more bots coming soon. Just conventional like social media influencer marketing's been really, really great for us. We you know pay people X dollars per new subscriber they they send our way, and there turns out there are a ton of sports betting handicappers that will do that deal with us and actually get and they they end up doing pretty well. So that's been good for us. And then what? Well, I mean, we've got some paid app store, paid search. I mean. If there's a channel out there, you better believe we've tried it. The question for me now is like, what are we trying to double down on when we get to this kind of like next phase of growth? What is it that we're really trying to double down on? But yeah, I mean, you you know this because we're doing video content right now. I really think video content is king and the same is true with sports betting. And it's actually especially true with our app. One of our key insights that we had early on the marketing front was what we call sh- our show don't tell strategy. So like I can sit here and your listeners are like, oh, sports betting super app. What do you do? But like, use it or see it and you'll immediately be like wow that is way cool and i've never seen anything like that so for all of our marketing across all of those channels for us if we can be extra visual we know we'll convert significantly more um betters yeah i like yeah i i do like that because it is true like we all hear the next great the marketing has gone really good over the last couple years where everything sounds like the best so like you get skeptical yeah so yeah the show don't tell that makes a lot of sense. Now, in terms of you guys, are you creating any of your own content yourselves internally? And then even within the app, are you guys, you know, you said you have it on Discord to draw people in is like kind of a next phase to like ha- have that same sort of social compatibility within Outlier? Yeah, I'll answer that question first. Uh, not really. So we, we don't have any so- sort of social on our product roadmap. Um, we're, we're trying to build like the best single player game that we can, because again, that's like, that's the easiest value to comprehend for the end user is, okay, this made me, I was able to make a better bet, not like I was able to message my friend. But yeah, so social's not really on, on, the, um, on the roadmap. 
in terms of like what we were able to bring in the app though, it's sort of the show don't tell strategy. So like our first tab on the app is called trends and it's just those trending insights. It's like really bite-sized actionable pieces of data that we've aggregated for you to make you feel like a smarter, better. And in fact, do make you a smarter, better. So the same thing that we're doing on Discord, we do internally. We just don't have any sort of like messaging or following or any of that. That makes sense. Now, I do want to jump kind of just a little bit to sports betting as a whole. What have you seen in yep. this space since you've been building? Like, how has that transformed and, and where is it going now that we're, like I mentioned at the very beginning, it's about to be five years yep. since legal mobile sports betting like started. And I think it was Jersey 2018, May 14th, I believe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I actually thought that there would be faster adoption across the country. And, well, like legal adoption across the country. So I was, I've been kind of surprised by that. One thing I'm maybe not surprised with, but this is another trend that I'm observing, is the um, the first time depositor deals that the sports books are giving out. I think that those are starting to prove too expensive for the sports book. So one prediction I'll make is I think we're going to see heavy, heavy revenue share agreements uh, between the books and their top affiliates coming soon, especially in more mature states. Uh, I really love this idea of sports betting exchanges and this general like thrust towards like financialization of sports betting, being able to place limit orders, putting a call on a bet. I think all that stuff's cool. And there's a lot of really, really interesting players in that space. They face issues like liquidity, market access. There's a whole host of hurdles for that. But actually we see something like Yahoo by wager. And it's like, okay, well, all of a sudden, like there's, there's a sports betting market, uh, or exchange that could have widespread market adoption across a bunch of states really fast. So I don't know. I really like what's going on with the exchanges. I just don't know like mentally how to approach it yet or how we approach it as a company. Yeah. Those are some of my thoughts on the state of the industry. Yeah. And if, uh, I know a lot of people talk about like Texas, California, some of the biggest states still haven't legalized it. Let's just say, you know, tomorrow they both did, you know, does anything change on your end or like what really changes in the space besides the fact that there's more people? Yeah. Uh, the strategy is, well, the product strategy is, would generally be the same for us. The only strategy that would maybe change is my take here on like first-time depositor fees drying up. Okay, well, if 35 million plus people in a single state come online in one day, like you better believe we'll start saying, hey, sign up, use our to sign up for a FanDuel or whatever. But uh, but again, I actually, it, I'm, it's been interesting. I've kind of, so I'm in Austin and I've had a front row seat to legalization here in, in Texas. I actually got to testify in front of the, House of reps, which is really cool. But sadly, like, I just don't think it's happening here this session. It's just, just not. So I will have to wait another two years. But yeah. And what's the, what's the pushback on it? Like, what's their, you know, it's Texas. So, I mean, I can make a guess, but I'm just curious. I'll let you kind of, you know, the, the inner workings. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. There are two, believe it or not. Well, the first you'll believe, second, maybe not, two really strong lobbies here against it. One are the Southern Baptist uh, Convention and, um, they're really, really strong in the Republican Party, especially in North Texas and Tarrant County. And they hold a lot of power in the state and they're against it for moral reasons. The second is actually the bingo lobby, because right now bingo halls are available or are accessible and legal in Texas. And I think the, they're sort of this, like, these like mobsters, but they believe that, and they're probably right, that if, you know, Las Vegas Sands gets to open a casino in Dallas, no one's going to the bingo hall anymore. So they actually have a pretty powerful lobby. What it actually boils down to, because it has general bipartisan support, especially in the House, but in the Senate as well, 
But in the Texas Senate, there's one guy, our lieutenant governor, who gets to decide what gets debated and voted on. His name's Dan Patrick. Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick has all but explicitly come out and said, it's not going to hit the floor. We are not going to take a vote on it, despite many people thinking it actually has the requisite number of votes in the Senate. Unfortunately, it's actually a politically expedient move for him because he's doing a really, well, his really high approval right now, uh, and he's making a bid for the governorship. And so he just doesn't want to rock the boat. So for him, it's a political expedient move, but it's the justification for it's really annoying. One, it's his politics. And two, he, the reason he shot it down is because he said it's a, quote, Democrat bill, which all of that means, Andrew, is that Democrats support the bill alongside Republicans. So it's crazy. It, uh, anyway, so he's out. Yeah. And it, 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 it irritates me. So. Yeah, it always makes hey. me laugh, Alex. Something like sports betting falls into you know, a certain, you know, left or right category. It's like, I feel like it shouldn't matter. Like, why should that fall on one side? It should just be what you really think about it. But anyway, kind of as we're talking about even the trends, and that was interesting. I appreciate you bringing all that up. Any other trends just kind of in sports that you see that you're paying attention to that you think could have, you know, a pretty big impact? Yeah, I think MLS is huge. Uh, we didn't have it on app yet, but I, I actually think that like, if you're out there and you're, you're super, super, super rich and you want to buy a sports team, buy an MLS team. I like the ascension of the MLS. I actually think esports, I'm not super steeped in it, but one request that we get all the time are people are like, what are you going to add esports, add esports, add esports. So like, I feel that wave coming. Um, yeah. What else? Uh, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, I think about it longer and harder. <laughs> yeah. No, those are good. I, I agree with you on the MLS for sure. What are your thoughts on kind of like, do, do you have women's sports in your stuff? Is that, are you seeing more interest around that? No, we don't yet. Although here's the reason I want to add it. Um, one, well, outside of this whole, like, it's the right thing to do. The reason I want to add it is because those markets are actually underdeveloped and, and basically under that really low handle, sports betting handle, which actually means that the books are soft on it, which means you could actually get an ad. If you really, 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 really know WNBA, you have a way better chance of winning bets than if you bet on the NBA because there are so many bettors betting on the NBA and the NFL that those markets are hyper-efficient. Whereas where you see lower betting volume on WNBA or like, I don't know, like men's track and field or something like that, you actually have a way better chance of winning if you can become expert on it. That makes sense. Yeah. I do see the handles starting to go up a little bit on the women's side, but I, I agree. There's just so much opportunity in all of women's sports. Like as that grows, it's better for everything. Sports betting, startups in the space. So I think it's only a matter of time. Now, I guess kind of as we close out here around 30 minutes, Give us any initiatives on Outlier you want to talk about and then tell us where to find you guys, uh, you know, website, socials, whatever. And uh, we'll close out with that. Okay. Big initiative is, again, top funnel. I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't even call them the kernels, but top funnel concerns. If you have an audience and you want to get paid for driving people to Outlier, let me know uh, because we could probably crack a deal with you because we know our unit economics and believe me, you can make out well. So that's the big initiative is continue to drive people to the top of the funnel. We know our conversion rates are really high. Beyond that, and I, this is me keeping something a little close to the vest, we're about to drop a giant product feature set. And uh, so maybe do a follow-up at some point so I can actually like talk about that, but it's going to be, it's something else. It's something else. It is innovating in ways that I was kind of suggesting earlier. So um, excited for that as well. And we're, we're talking like a month. So Cool. That's awesome. Yeah, no, it is something I want to do. Like as I get through, as I'm almost up to 50 podcasts, it's going to be cool, like over the hopefully the years to like see, you know, who I had on in the companies at earlier and then yeah. go back and be like, oh, you guys just, you know, where are you now? Oh, you were seed here. And now you're at A or series B, A or B. And this is all the new stuff you built. 
what's changed. Like, I think those will be really fascinating to like compare them. Um, but no, Evan, appreciate you coming on. And uh, I guess just let everyone know, you know, website where to find you guys. And, and then we'll close it out with that. Cool. Yeah. Thanks, Andrew. Um, yeah. You can find us at outlier.bet. Uh, that's the website. You can find us on all socials, outlier, D-O-T-B-E-T, outlier.bet. You can find me on LinkedIn. I'm like hyperactive. I actually have been cooled off a little bit in the last couple of months, but I'm pretty active. So uh, if you ping me, you'll get a response back in less than 30 minutes. And uh, that's where you find us. Go download the app, check it out, start the seven-day free trial. Let us know what your thoughts are because we want to keep iterating. Love it. Appreciate you coming on, Evan. Thanks a bunch.